This, this week, as I mentioned before, is week one of our three-part uh, vision series where we'll be digging into what we are here for as a church, uh, what, what the purpose of all this is and how we seek to be living in obedience to the gospel as we work that out. Uh, we've been, uh, sorry, we're, we're going to be looking a lot, especially in weeks two and three of this series, uh, at how God works in the local church uh, and how we seek to, to live in that here at Gospel Church in, in particular. And, and over this series, we uh, will be uh, unveiling uh, for the first time a, a vision statement for our church that the elders have been uh, laboring over. Uh, uh, it's what we see as being the, the heart, really, of why we're here and, and where this is going. Uh, but before we do that, before we can approach that, uh, before we look at the vision of this church, there's something much more significant that you have to address. Uh, and that is the fact that we are the people of a God of vision. Uh, we're the people of a God who has a vision over all of his creation. Throughout all of history, in every context, God has been working toward one end. One vision has oriented or orientated his actions wherever we see them. And so when we come to being a people with a vision, one thing we absolutely better be sure of is that our vision fits into the greater vision of our God. And certainly that it doesn't kick against it. We want to gain our vision by, being our, uh, by seeing ourselves in our place within the vision of God. We want our stories to be formed by his greater story. We want the good news of our God to set the direction for our church and our lives. Now, understand that uh, when the elders of this church have been discussing the, the vision for the church, we, we've taken it really, really seriously. We've been taking a great deal of care in the words that we've used, and we've gone through a lot of drafts and versions before we got to what we have today. But uh, careful as we may have been with that, there's much greater care required when you approach the question, what is God's vision for his creation? And so I want to precursor what I'm about to say with, uh, with the fact that one day everyone who believes in Jesus is going to see Jesus and we're going to understand the vision of God for his creation much better on that day than I do on this day. Uh, we see it with greater clarity. It's, it's somewhat like what we read in 1 Corinthians 13, that we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Uh, but also, on the other hand, God has made his intention known clearly throughout Scripture. And so although we may uh, understand it better one day, we can still confidently assert what is God's vision? What's God up to? What's he about doing in this world? What is his vision? And so here's my, here's my best crack at it in one sentence, right? And what we're going to do today is I'm going to just throw this at you, and then we're going to go to Scripture, and I'm going to show you where it comes from, okay? Uh, so, so God's vision for creation is that his glory would be displayed, known, and enjoyed. Short way of saying that is that God created the world for his glory. And, you know, we're, we're actually not just introducing a vision statement here as a church. We're also introducing a thing called a mission statement. Difference being that a vision statement is where you want to get to and a mission statement is how you want to get there. Uh, that's my easiest way of saying it. And, and, and that's convenient because God actually has a mission. He has a way by which he fulfills his vision. He has an intended way of doing it. 
And, and so, you know, if, to get the dynamic here, if your vision was to go to Adelaide, your mission might be, your mission statement might be, I'm going to get in the car, I'm going to drive up the York Highway and then down Port Wakefield Road. Yeah. Um, there's only two roads. How could I forget one of them? Uh, uh, and, and God's vision is, is remarkably relevant to us. If God's, if God's, sorry, his mission, if God's vision is that his glory would be displayed, revealed and known, sorry, enjoyed, uh, then his mission is that through knowing and enjoying him, through knowing and enjoying his glory, that his people would make it known to the world. So God's vision for creation is that his glory would shine, and the way that he brings that about is through a people. And this is something that is written across the Bible. Uh, you can go in any number of directions here, uh, and I mean that. There's so many places we could have gone. But today, we're just going to touch the mountaintops of this truth as we walk from beginning to end through Scripture. Yeah. And so to start, uh, if you've got a Bible with you, whip open to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to go to the very beginning. A very good place to start. If you don't know, it's on page one of your Bibles. <laughs> I assume. <laughs> Somewhere around there. Anyway. So we're reading from verse 26 of chapter one of Genesis. Um, so, sorry. Then God said, this is day six of creation. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Stop there for a sec. What do we clearly have at this point? God creates humanity, sure, yep. Uh, but, but he does so purposefully, doesn't he? God creates us in his what? Image and after his likeness. Now you can you can debate all day long about the, the specifics of what that means, whether it's a physical image or a spiritual image or whatever, but, but sometimes people get so bogged down in that debate that we miss what's really, really, really clear here. The least we can say is that perfect humanity reveals who God is. In fact, it's made to reveal who God is. Because why do you make an image, right? Let, let me make that question simpler for you. Why do you take a photo of a sunset? Has anyone here taken a photo of a sunset? Tell me, I'm not the only one. Keith is, is literally going, that is why I hope I didn't get you in trouble there, Keith. Uh, I, don't, I don't know why I would have. Um, why did you do it? To capture it. Why do you want to capture it? To remember it. You want to be able, and you want to be able to show other people, right, and say, hey, look how good this sunset was. You don't want to say, hey, look how good this LCD screen is on your camera or printout, you know, either way. Um, you know, that's why we take an image. Uh, you want people to, to look at the photo and know what the actual thing was like. You know, this is everywhere. You know, why do people go to Paris and bring home a tiny little Eiffel Tower or to New York and bring home a little uh, Empire State Building or, or China and bring home a snow globe with the, with the Great Wall of China? Does it snow at the Great Wall of China? I don't know. Um, I've never been. 
or, or like a Big Ben, right? Like, why do they bring home a key ring Big Ben? A key ring Big Ben isn't all that impressive, is it? Like, when you think about it. I've met guys named Ben. It's actually a miniature Ben. It's not even regular sized. Uh, but, but, but really, when, when you look at it, you remember, wow, the real thing was, was 96 meters tall, right? And it was, it was built in 1843, and 96 meters is a lot of meters for 1843. Images and likenesses, they exist to remind us of the beauty of the original. And so we exist to display the beauty, the character, the nature of God to this world. Perfect humanity reveals God's glory. Perfect humanity reveals God's glory. In fact, we're not just made to display it. There's actually a little bit more here in Genesis. There's a lot more here in Genesis, but we're, we're only touching it today. What do we read next? Uh, verse 28. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. See, God created humanity to be the beacon of his glory in this world displaying it more clearly than all of creation. To some extent, all of creation is to, to created for the glory of God. Right? But humanity is the, the beacon at the center of it that is to show the glory of God. That's why after every day of creation, God's, God sees that it's good. And after day six, when he's created humanity, he sees that it's very good. But it's not just that. We were made to be an increasing beacon of the glory of God. This is where we see the mission coming in, right? We were made to fill creation with this display. Uh, we were meant to multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. We were meant to carry the glory of God, displaying his image wherever we went. And what we get in the next chapter or so of Genesis is that um, God creates a garden. And, and, and the garden is for his people to live in. It's where he is with them. We read that God walked in the garden with them. He gives them the chance to trust in him because to rightly display God, to rightly display God's glory, we need to be in the presence of God and we need to be trusting God. We need to believe him, that his words are true and good. It's in trusting him that we display him to the world. It's in depending on him and believing that all he says is good, is good, and, and all that he says is evil, is evil, that we grow to display his goodness and his rightness to the world. And so God's people are there, they're knowing and enjoying the glory of God. You see this at the very start of all creation. We're seeing his glory, we're trusting in his good word, and, and, and therefore they were fulfilling their creation mandate, they were fulfilling their mission to fill the earth with the glory of God. It was working out. And so uh, now, now do you see that the vision of God and the mission of God are present there at the start? Is that, is that evident by now? God's vision, let me remind you, that his glory would be displayed, known, and enjoyed throughout creation. And his mission that is, would go out through his people. That as they know it and enjoy it, they would display it. Now, obviously, there's more, but just, just, just put this sermon on pause there for a moment and think. I'm not actually going to put it on pause. I'm not going to shut up. Uh, but stop there. Have you, ever, have you ever struggled with a sense of purposelessness in your life? I have at times. Um, don't worry. We're not going to cast you out if you nod your head. Robin Redding, I cast the... No, no. It's gone on the recording now. 
Um, no, we do, right? Or, or maybe that the purpose we've chosen for our life doesn't really seem to live up to our urge to fulfill a purpose. Here's the truth of the matter. You were created for the greatest purpose that there is. And nothing short of it will satisfy you. Because God made you that way. There's no purpose in this life that is greater, that is more significant than making the glory of God known through your life. Nothing. This is what you were made for, and nothing else will fill that desire, that sense that you were made for something big. Uh, but, but sadly, where we go next now is that our ability to do that was broken. Um, we're not going to go chapter by chapter through the Bible, but the first few chapters we are. We get to Genesis 3, right? And God's vision seems to come into tension. Humanity doesn't trust the word of God here. God has said, don't eat from that tree or you will die. When he says that, he's inviting us, believe my words. Believe what I say is good and believe what I say is evil. Don't take up the fruit and choose to make your own version of good and evil. That's why it's the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right? But sadly, we did it. Humanity sins and the image of God in them is marred. It's broken beyond recognition at this point. And the vision really does seem to be under threat here, doesn't it? Like, like if you just read the first three chapters of the Bible, you might even be like, well, that's it. I don't know what the rest of these pages are about. Because uh, remember, what's God's intention? God's intention is to reveal his glory in creation most fully through his people. And now they've sinned. The pinnacle has sinned. They have not trusted the goodness of his word. And as a result, they're removed from his presence there. And remember, how were we able to do it? We were able to reveal the glory of God by being in his presence and trusting his word. And so it's all broken. We, we still spread. We still multiply, but we multiply a broken image. Uh, we spread uh, something that we were not meant to be. We, we, we are likenesses that are not like the thing we were meant to be like, if you will. And from here on, we have, we have this tension in scripture and in history. Uh, God's glory is still visible in the world, the Bible tells us. There's an ongoing display, but a broken knowledge. God's glory is still evident throughout creation. Isaiah 6 verse 3, uh, one of the angels cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. He's not looking forward to a day there. He's saying that's, that's, that's present. God's glory is still everywhere. All of creation is still uh, made to show God's glory, but we don't see it. The, the majestic sunset, the depths of space, the intricacy of life, it all still cries out. Our creator is glorious, but we don't hear the cry. And in fact, even the glory-bearing creation, the rest of it is, as a whole, is now somewhat flawed, somewhat marred, uh, in its presentation of God's glory, although God's glory is still visible in it. Death and brokenness and suffering and chaos enter in at this point because of the sin of humanity. And all of this is primarily because the image bearers, humanity, they're not displaying the glory that we were made for. In fact, you could accur accurately describe the state of humanity after the fall, you know, for basically the rest of it as uh, idolatry. 
Instead of glorifying, worshipping, and enjoying the Creator, we glorify, we worship, and we try to enjoy the created things. Uh, we put the things that we were meant to display the glory to God to above us as the thing that we glorify. Do you see how much of a, a, a broken order this is? How much of a flip of the order of creation this is? In Psalm 115, and, and elsewhere in Psalms as well, actually, um, there's these words that, that criticize idol worship. And they don't just speak to worshiping carved images. They speak to everything that we could do to worship something, to put something as at the head of our lives that isn't God. Every false thing that we can give the role of the most important thing, that is, this speaks to. And the author of the psalm writes this. He says, their idols are silver and gold. And we could cheekily add television, phone, cars, work, marriage, parties, any number of any other things, right, that we put in the place of God in our life. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Basically saying idols are useless gods. They can't do anything for you. They can't be God. They can't do anything for us. And although they offer so much, they deliver so very little. How often have you sought satisfaction in something only to discover coming out the other end that it wasn't very satisfying? Although it promised it. And then he adds these disturbing words at the end. This is, this is verse 8 of Psalm 115. Those who make them become like them, and so do all who trust in them. That's the state of humanity since the fall. We become like the things that we worship. Voiceless, empty, useless. Idol worshippers who display the absent glory of their idols. We say that again. Ever since the fall, we have all, each one of us, been idol worshippers. People who have gone after the creation rather than the creator. And we display the absent glory, the, 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 the ingloriousness of the things that we worship. Do you, do you see how wrong it is, right? Humanity created in the image of God to display his glory instead worships the things that we were made to bring into line with his glory. And that leaves us in a pretty hopeless spot at that point, doesn't it? Like, come back next week. No, no, we won't do that to you. Um, you know, it does at least until we see that God's vision isn't defeated. God's vision is greater than our failures. You know, God's vision, that his glory would be uh, displayed, known, and enjoyed throughout creation, and his mission that is that his people would know and enjoy his glory and therefore display it, it's not broken. God had a plan that would succeed, regardless of our failures, despite our failures, even through our failures, he is so sovereign. God was sovereignly working through all of creation to bring about his vision, and nothing but nothing would stop him. Throughout the Old Testament, we get these promises and these moments of, of uh, revealing, I suppose, that show us that God is still at work in this world. 
God's still working to have a people who will know and enjoy his glory and display it to the creation. God calls out a family in the Old Testament. He calls out uh, Abraham, right, and Sarah. And he says he will bless them, and through them he will bless all of the families of the earth. God grows that family into a nation, uh, the people of Israel, uh, that exists to know him and to be in his place with him. It sounds a bit familiar and garden-esque, doesn't it? But in, in line with the promise of Abraham, they also exist to display him, to bless the families of the earth as they receive the blessing. They exist to reveal to the world that God is good. God is glorious. But all this time, the, the tension of sin still exists in this, right? Uh, that's not enough. Although God is among them in the temple, uh, the same temple represents that they're separated from him. You know, there's these very lengthy explanations in the Old Testament of, of these curtains and these walls and these things, like foot-thick curtains that, that separated the people from the presence of God. Because God's people were still in sin, and so they're unable to be in his direct presence. And unable to be in his direct presence, we're unable to reveal his glory well. And they do sin. You know, read your Old Testament at some point. Although they are called to reveal God's glory, they fall into idolatry, right? They do some horrendous stuff. Uh, they are not the perfect people. Uh, just, just read the book of Judges. That would be a recommendation. Uh, but as you read it, take in mind, they're just getting started at that point. Like, like they've, they've got hundreds of years to go uh, in their sin. But God relentlessly promises, I'm going to do something about this. My vision is going to come about. It will not be thwarted. You know, the prophet Habakkuk, uh, at the, the time when Israel really was off the rails, uh, they were uh, trundling towards judgment for their sin. They were idol-worshipping, baby-sacrificing folks at that point. Habakkuk 2.14, God makes this outrageous promise. He says, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. People are going to know God's glory again. God promises it. And Jesus, uh, sorry, <laughs> even, even though it may appear that sin is winning, God says, I will win. Even though it may appear that my people have failed, God says, my vision will be fulfilled. And, and this is where Jesus comes in. Jesus is the center of God's plan to fulfill his vision in this broken world. We're, we're working through Luke's gospel at the moment in our, in our regular sermons before we went into this vision series. I'm going to do a cheeky jump over into John's gospel here. John opens his gospel describing the role of Jesus, the eternal word of God, who came down in the flesh as a man, as perfect humanity, and dwelt among us and gave us Grace upon grace, or showed us grace upon grace. But, but the climax of the opening of John's gospel comes in uh, verse 18 of John 1, where he says, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Jesus, the one God at the Father's side, Jesus makes God known. Jesus is perfect humanity. It's also perfectly God, but we mustn't lose it. He's perfect humanity, and he knows and enjoys the glory of God unhindered, 
And so he reveals that glory to the world. And in fact, as we read the gospel accounts of the life of Jesus, uh, we discover in no uncertain terms how exactly he does that. You know, all of Jesus' life screams. He's here to show you the glory of God, you know, like literally just before he's born, angels show up and say, glory to God in the highest, right? Uh, but, but it comes to its, its maximum. It comes to the climax at the cross. He died on the cross to defeat the sin that separated us from God. Uh, our, our, our sin deserved punishment, but the Bible says that we are, well, the Bible says that we're all, dead, right, apart from God, that we are all children of wrath. And yet when Jesus went to the cross, he carried the wrath for us. There is no act in history comparable to Jesus defeating our sin. And when he rose from the death, he revealed that he had one life for everyone who would believe in him. Do you see how Jesus is the center of history, right? Do you see how he's the center of God's plan? He is the fulfillment of the vision of God because Jesus is perfect humanity, unmarred by the fall. He reveals, therefore, who God is, like we were created to do, right? He's the image. He's the likeness. And in Jesus, humanity is restored to God through Jesus. We are restored to God. And so we can begin to know and to enjoy the glory of God in him and therefore reveal it to the world. Remember, the great problem is that our sin separated us from God. That's why we're out of the garden, right? Our sin. That's why we're under the wrath of God, our sin. Uh, We couldn't reveal the glory of God without access to God. But Jesus comes and says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, he's talking to his disciples here, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Them's big words. Through him, through his cross and his empty tomb, the way to God is reopened. The way to the Father is reopened for all who will believe. Through Jesus, we have access to the glory of God. At the cross of Jesus, we see the glory of God, in fact. We see the perfect justice of God, perfectly displayed as he punishes sin. We see the perfect mercy and love of God as God the Son comes and takes the punishment on himself and as God the Father sends him in love for his people. We see that God is glorious beyond what we could have ever imagined. And that, that, that brings us to our place in the vision of God. Because when Jesus ascended to heaven, uh, he sent down the spirit of God into his people, those who would believe, to provide the power needed, indeed to provide the presence of God in our lives that we needed, so that those who have been saved by the cross of Jesus can now, can now know and enjoy the glory of God. And therefore, reveal it to the world. In fact, the Bible is really clear on, on how this works out. As we uh, increasingly see the glory of God in the gospel of Jesus, we increasingly become like him. And God's glory is made known then through us. As the gospel light of the good news of Jesus breaks into my life, into our lives, into your life, and as we are filled with God's spirit, 
with transforming power, we return to the image of God that we were made to be. Increasingly so. Here's how Paul puts it over in 2 Corinthians 3 and 4. Uh, He writes, the last verse of chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians is, We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Now, do you see see that there? Um, As we, the church, the people of God, behold God's glory, we're made to be increasingly glorious. We are made by his glory to be displays of his glory. And, and where does Paul say that we look to see that glory? Keep reading, like four verses later, Paul writes, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing, here are the key words, keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for God's sake. The God who said that light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The God who spoke you know, and light was created, day one of creation, right? He's done the same thing again in the hearts of his people. The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, the display of God, it's veiled from an unbelieving world, but it's shone in our hearts by God's call. And so as we look to him, as we look to Jesus, as we look to his gospel, the gospel of the glory of Jesus, and know more fully how powerfully he has rescued us, how powerfully he has rescued me and loved me and loved you and revealed to me the perfect uh, glory of God. As we look on the face of the one who died for us to show us the love of God, we see God and we are transformed in the seeing of him. If you, were, if you were to state very briefly the mission of the church or the vision, uh, no, the mission of the church, not this church, the mission of the church universal, right? It would probably be increasingly see Jesus and increasingly make him known. That's how it works out. So here, let's, let's pause and say that this has implications for everyone, right? Here or elsewhere. You know, maybe you haven't seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Maybe that's not something you've experienced. He calls you, and it's a very simple call, believe. Settle for nothing less than believing in me. Enter into the purpose you were created for. Enter into the life and the joy that you were made for. Nothing else will satisfy. You are made to know the glory of God in Jesus. Who loved you and died for you. Who rose and gave you life if you believe. For every believer, isn't that just an incredible truth that we've looked at? Isn't that foundational to who we are now? You were created to know and to enjoy the glory of God in the gospel of Jesus to reveal that same glory to the world around you. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe you've sat in church for ages, right? 
And maybe you are a Christian, right? I'm not, I'm not saying you're not, but maybe you have just thought that this was basically all there was to it, right? Was that I come to church, I live an upright life, I don't drink and I don't swear and done, you know? I've, I've done what it is to live the Christian life. I've been an upright Christian. But it's so much more than that, isn't it? Every Christian is made a new creation in the image of God with, with this one purpose, right? Enjoy his glory. Enjoy him and make him known. Be impacted by the gospel and let the gospel flow out through you. Be a, a, a river of living water flowing from your heart, right? Be who you were made to be. The image of the glorious God, a reflection of Jesus. Yeah, let me ask you, if you're a Christian, are you engaging this purpose in your life? Is this something you see working out? Is this how you see yourself? Is, is that how you identify yourself? As one who is meant to be increasingly seeing God's glory and increasingly displaying his glory? Or do you, do you see yourself as a church attender? Or as a, a good person who does the right stuff? Who knows that Jesus died and rose again, but doesn't necessarily see how that connects to day-to-day -to -day life? You know, when you go to the Word of God, do you go praying to see the glory of Jesus as displayed in the gospel, to see it more clearly and to be transformed in the seeing of it? Do you go to the Word of God? It's not assumed. If you... If, if not, maybe maybe the root of that is that you're looking at it wrong. You see it as kind of one of those Christian duties that Christians are meant to do. And you don't realize this, this is where we find joy. This is where we see the glory that we were made to behold and to become like. Do you? When you, when you interact with Christian brothers and sisters, do you do so knowing that your brother and sister is someone who you can see the glory of God displayed in and you can, you can challenge them in where they should be displaying it more? Do you do it knowing that you can display the glory of God to them? You know, this is what Paul means when he says, speak words that build up. He means speak the words of Jesus into each other's lives. When you interact with people outside of the Christian community, right, do you do so remembering you are there as God's intended beacon, as his intended display of his Jesus-shaped glory? When you speak, do you long to speak the words of the gospel? where you have seen the glory of God? Do you pray for that longing? Because, be honest, we don't naturally have it every single day and every single moment, and we need God's help in that. But stepping back now, do you, do you see how the vision of God is working out now, generally speaking? God's vision for creation is that his glory would be displayed, known, and enjoyed. Uh, we as we know and enjoy the glory of God, display and reveal it to the world around. 
what God shows us of himself through Jesus. He intends, he longs to show the world through us. So just before I finish today, I, I want to uh, quickly give you something. Um, I'm going to throw you the vision statement of this church, uh, now finalised. Uh, no, there's not a slide for it. I forgot. Uh, this is the first time uh, that this thing has been read out, uh, out loud in public. Um, and and the, the prayer of the elders is that this will orientate our church, that this will be uh, something that defines us for many, many years to come. But understand, as you hear this, that our intention has been to form a vision that reflects who our God is and what our God is up to doing. We want a vision that reflects God's vision. And our vision statement is this. I'll read it twice because I didn't make your slide. Gospel Church exists to see the good news of Jesus go out to all peoples in the country. We're a country church with transforming power for the glory of the God and the joy of all who will believe. Now, do you see how, is it evident how that fits into God's vision? Gospel church exists to see the good news of Jesus go out to all peoples in the country with transforming power for the glory of God and for the joy of all who will believe. Do you see that, that his glory, we want to display his glory and we want it to be known and we want it to be enjoyed. That's at the heart of this. We exist to see the good news, the gospel of Jesus. Go out because it is in the gospel that the glory of God is made known. It's in the gospel that we are transformed and that people are transformed to display the glory of God. It is as people believing the gospel that we receive the greatest joy, the joy that we were created for, the joy of glorifying God. So gospel church exists to see the good news of Jesus go out for the glory of God and the joy of all who will come to believe. As, as the, the next couple of weeks progress, we'll also be um, bringing out our mission statement as well. Uh, but today I want to I end with, with one little final fact and when I say little, I mean that in no way, shape, or form. Uh, God's vision reaches completion. This is a promise that we have in all certainty. Uh, in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 21, at the end, uh, the author, the apostle John, who we read from already, he has a vision of the new heavens and the new earth. This is a vision of the time after Jesus comes back and all sin is removed and all brokenness is removed. It's when God's purposes will be complete, right? And he writes a whole bunch of awesome stuff. Give Revelation 21 and 22 a read if you want something encouraging. Uh, but let me just read you a couple of verses here. This is the last page of your Bible, by the way. He gets shown the new city, the new Jerusalem, which is this image there representing the people of God in the new creation. And John writes in Revelation 21, 10 to 11, that he sees the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. One day there'll be a new creation in which God's people will perfectly display the glory of God. One day all of the sin will be 
gone. In fact, uh, he describes the city that displays the glory of God as being so huge that you'd be able to see it everywhere, right? That we're meant to read it and, and understand the glory of God fills the earth at this point. He describes it as two and a half thousand kilometers tall, if that helps to get an image of that. And in case you still needed convincing that God's vision is good news for you, John gives us this little description. He says that it, that, that place, because we're in the presence of God, because we are experiencing his glory and displaying his glory, there'll be no more crying or mourning or pain. Those former things have passed away. Would you pray with me? Jesus, God, uh, we want to be a people of your glory. And we take it seriously, Lord. We want to be a people who display to the world around us, this is what our God is like and this is how we've seen him in Jesus. We want people to know that you are good, that your justice is perfect and your mercy is great, that you love all those who come to believe. We're so grateful for your mercy to us. We're so grateful that you've shown us your glory in the face of Jesus. We ask, humbly, Lord, we know that we can't do this on our own, so we ask that you would display yourself to the world through us and bring many to the joy of the glory of our God. We pray it in the name of Jesus who makes it possible. Jesus who stands at the centre of the Bible and of creation. Jesus who stands at the centre of our lives because he has saved us. We pray in his name. Amen.